I made one big mistake that I felt again. You know, you're always afraid that they were going to send you home. <clears throat> and how embarrassing it would be to go home, you know, once you were in. And I got up one morning and I went to get dressed after we'd done our phys ed, physical jerks, we used to call it. And um, went to put my uniform on and there was some caramel on the pocket of my uniform. And I left a piece of a caramel chocolate bar in there and a mouse had chewed through the pocket. And I only had, you were given two uniforms. And you know, you weren't making very much money. And I'm trying to think, I think we made 90 cents a day. And, um, and half of it was going home to my mother because I had signed in that I was her source of support. And if I gave her half my pay, then the Air Force would match it and that would give her money. So I got on a bus and I went downtown to find a tailor and he art mended this whole mouse. And it cost me a couple of dollars and it just broke my heart because, I mean, that meant no cigarettes. I was bumming cigarettes from everybody. Everybody smoked. I mean, it's a wonder to us that we all didn't die of lung cancer by the time we were 50 because everything was a cloud of smoke everywhere you went. <clears throat> anyway, um, the, after we had our exams, and it was from October the 12th till almost the end of November that I was there, and it was fall, and it was a late, gorgeous fall. And I, I remember being marching up and down on the parade square, looking down into this beautiful valley with a, I'd never seen trees so gorgeous in my life. Red, red, red leaves and some gold. And I thought, this is wonderful. I would stay here forever. I found it afterwards. I would never have stayed in Ottawa forever because I wasn't that crazy about it. But anyway, um, now we went in for another interview. And this lady was really nice. She was an officer, a higher-ranked officer, and made me very comfortable. When I came in, she said, this is very casual. Take off your cap. I need to get to know you better. That was really nice, ma'am. You know, so uh, she told me that I had failed my mechanics miserably. <laughs> and I said, I don't know anything about a car except riding in one. And she said, well, that's okay, neither do I. So she was very friendly and very nice. And we went through the things and she said, okay, now what are the, what is the thing that you would really like to have? And she listed what I would be eligible for. And I said to her, I'd like to be a wireless operator. I think I could manage that just fine. And she said, well, we could get you into that easy. She said, are, they really need wireless operators because they're taking the ground wireless operators and um, sending them overseas. So, um, but she said, I, I just want to give you a little tip. She said, I've just come back from Halifax. And she said, I had heard that there was an opera, that there were operations rooms down there were all ready to go. And they were, <clears throat> excuse me, just well organized and they were needing more air women. So I went down to see what the conditions were like. 
And she said, she explained to me about, you know, there's a filter filter fighter room where they usually are tracking um, people who are in training. That's the filter and fighter ops room. She said, but this bomber reconnaissance operations room is just the same as being overseas. She said, I was fascinated by it. She said, I stayed two extra days in Halifax and spent my days in that room because it was so interesting. And she said, you know, I think you'd love it. And I think you're perfectly suited for it. And I'm only allowed to choose three out of this draft. So she said, I'll put your name in. She said, I'm not finished interviewing everybody else yet. She said, if I find people that are more suited, I may send them people with university educations or something. But she said, I think you'd like it and I think you'd be very suitable for it. And I said, oh, that sounds really neat. So she explained um, kind of uh, what the room was like. She said, it's in Halifax. She said, I don't know how you feel about going to Halifax. She said, the weather is not that great. Um, she said, but you'll feel like you're overseas. She said, it's strictly a wartime city and you will be a long way from Winnipeg and your posting and what your, your trade, your trade and your posting and when you, so, uh, you know, it would be sort of like class and Valerie, secretary or stenographer, Vancouver, and, you know, and people go, oh, or they say, oh boy, you know, or something like that. And she'd say, try not to be, you know, try not to be too obvious about how you feel about this because some of the other girls might be really disappointed and you're very happy so anyway she came to Martin G wireless operator Montreal and I thought okay so then she says Martin IG bomber operation bomber reconnaissance operations Halifax Eastern Air Command and I went I jumped right out of my seat and went yes and the whole room laughed it was really funny, and she said, I know you wanted this so badly, but celebrate when you get outside, will you, Martin? <laughs> anyway, uh, I can't... Uh, then there was a girl called Parsons, and she got bomber reconnaissance, too, and they, she went to Vancouver. And after the war, I talked to her, and she said, well, they didn't have submarines or anything, except they had a few up around Alaska. So it wasn't anything like Halifax was. And the third girl was Lenore Remy from Regina, the girl that I had come down on the train with, and I was really happy to be with her because she was 23 and old, and she'd look after me, you know. So then we went from Ottawa to Montreal, and all the girls who were going to wireless school got off in Montreal and we changed to another train and I think it was called the Atlantic Special or something and it went through all around the gas up to Quebec City, across to Levis, 
and up around the Gas Bay Peninsula, down into Halifax. And it took about, I'd say, 36 hours, something like that. And it was on a very rocky, um, bumpy track. Uh, a lot of um, muskeg, not muskeg, but it was... The train rocked and rolled a lot, not like it had going into Ottawa. And I was so train sick. It was just awful. And the porters on the train were black. And they were the only black people we ever saw, you know. And the one on our train, his home was in Winnipeg. And he usually ran uh, on the train from Winnipeg to Montreal and back. But this particular time, he happened to be on the maritime run. And for some reason or other, we talked. And um, I found out he was from Winnipeg and I was from Winnipeg. So, you know, I always got pretty good treatment, you know. If I was heading for the dining car, he would come and tell me, the dining car's almost empty now. There's good tables or don't bother going to the dining car. There's a big lineup. And he was nice and he was older and he had a, kids about my age so he was an older man um, but he told me to stand uh, let me see at the front of the car so I couldn't see the movement and stand in the aisle and hold on to both sides and try to think about something else or just look straight ahead so because if you're at the other end you could see the swaying and he said this way you'll feel it in your feet but you won't get so sick and he said every time I know there's going to be a stop it'll be just for a few minutes for mail or something like that he said I'll come and tell you ahead of time so you can get your great coat on and see it was winter by then end of November and he said we'll get off together so we would make sure we won't leave you behind. And he said, walk up and down the platform and breathe, breathe in a lot of air. He said, that'll help you stop me from throwing up because nobody had gravel or anything in those days. And I felt so grateful to this man, you know. Anyway, when we arrived in Halifax, it was late at night and we climbed into a state truck. <laughs> but only Remy, this Lorraine, Remy, and me we were the only two air women, and all the rest were airmen. And they were all on their way overseas, and we were all going to what they called Y Depot. That meant that that was en route overseas. <clears throat> so we went through the streets of Halifax, quite a long way. The barracks was on the outskirts of town. And uh, we stopped for a stop sign and it was outside of a dance club or a nightclub and there was another state truck there and Navy, and it was a Navy state truck and the shore patrol were actually throwing drunk sailors into this state truck. <laughs> and Merchant Marine, you know, it was... I really wasn't very happy. I thought, what have I come to, you know? It smelled ter 
uh, fishy and it smelled oily and it was wet and it was cold. And I was cold and I was tired. Anyway, we got to the Y Depot and there was an air woman there to meet us at the gate to get us off the state truck. And then the men went farther down the hill, down to their barracks. She took us into our barracks and it was dark. And she said, I have two bunks. You're not in the same, you're not in the same room. So she took me first. She said, here's your blanket. And that's what she gave me, a blanket, a gray wool blanket. And she had a flashlight. And uh, she said, do you need to go to the bathroom? And I said, yes. So I went to the bathroom and brushed my teeth and did the basics things. And I don't even think I undressed. She took a flashlight and everybody's sound asleep now. You know, it's after midnight. And I'm on an upper bunk. I've been lucky enough to have a lower one at Manning Depot. And she said, okay, you report, you get up when everybody else gets up in the morning and they'll tell you what to do. And then I think you, the state truck leaves to go to Eastern Air Command, which is downtown at eight o'clock. So by then I would have had to have breakfast and all, and all that stuff. And I climbed up on this mattress and it was so saggy and awful and thin and the pillow had what felt like straw in it and it was that ticking stuff and put this old gray blanket over me and thought I've made the biggest mistake my whole life. I'm caught here forever. <laughs> and all I could hear was one person grinding your teeth. I felt pretty sorry for myself. Well, 18 isn't very old when you come to think of it. 